Hello, Seacoast. All right. Isn't it cool that we can get together with a bunch of friends from all over Charleston, all over South Carolina, up into North Carolina, and then because of the internet, we can get together with people all over the world, literally, and worship God and come to learn and grow in the things of God. How many of you enjoyed this series we've been doing, The Elephant in the Room? Say, say yes if you've enjoyed it. Yes. I think it's been great. Uh, the goal of it, the purpose of it, has been to just kind of uh, stretch you a little bit in the area of finances, in the area of generosity. And uh, I'll be winding the series up today, talking about some things. Honestly, I'm going to share some things from Colleen's in my life and our journey with God, and I really, really hope it'll be helpful to you and I uh, think it'll be a lot of fun. One statement we've said every week, I believe, is that generosity is something God wants for you, not from you. Generosity is something that God wants you to enter into and have fun with, believe it or not. And uh, we really hope the series has communicated that. So far in the series, Josh Walters talked about God as a giver in the first week, not a taker. And just did a great job talking about how our response in this area set, lays the groundwork for God to work. And then Greg, Pastor Greg came behind that and he talked about the benefits of generosity and uh, how, it, how it enlarges our life when we enter into a lifestyle of generosity. And I don't know about you guys, but Josh Surratt, I thought, kind of got off track, you know. He started talking about debt and budgets and all that kind of stuff. And I don't know about you, but I, you know, I'm kidding. The point of that was important, really, really important. And that is that you have to have some margin in your life if you're going to enter into a life of generosity. So I thought it was a great message. What we're going to do tonight is, or this morning, is to talk about some other aspects of it. But what I need you to do is do me a favor. Pull out a bill of some kind. Pull out a dollar bill, $5 bill. I mean, if you want to shake my hand afterwards, a $100 bill. No, I'm kidding. But just pull out a bill. We're going we're gonna to kind of go where I want to go this morning. And in case it motivates you a little bit, I'm going to pray for you in just a second. Just pull out a bill, one of these little... All the, now, let me be honest with you. I had to ask my wife for a dollar. <laughs> really. I had to ask my wife for a dollar this morning. I didn't even have one. I don't know about you, but I hardly ever carry green money anymore. But what I want you to do is pull it out and look at the back of it. And they're going to flash up here the title of my message this morning. My message this morning is, In God We Trust. Say that one time, In God We Trust. Now, here's the deal. I want to talk to you about what I believe is the active ingredient that makes that statement true. So as we start this morning, you're holding some money if you took some out. Let me just pray for you. And one of my favorite prayers is one line from what we call the Lord's Prayer. And I want to pray that over your finances. So let's pray together. Father, in Jesus' name, as we hold money, we're not worshiping money, we're holding it before you. And here's what we're asking, sir. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in our finances as it is in heaven. Help us to listen to you, learn from you, and handle our finances in such a way that you're able and pleased to bless us so that we can be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How many are familiar with that? Right? A bottle of Coca-Cola, right? Well, back a few years ago, it was a big deal for them to talk about how they had a secret recipe. 
And they even, there was this big marketing thing that, I don't know, there were like five people on earth that knew the full recipe, all the ingredients, the different amounts, and all that kind of thing. And it was, it was just kind of how they advertised, how special they were, and how no one will ever reproduce the flavor. Well, I want to ask you a question as we start this morning. Have you ever felt like there's a secret recipe to this thing called Christianity? There must be some formula that everybody else has figured out because it's just not working for me like it looks like it is for them. Well, what we're going to talk about today is what I believe is a secret ingredient. And I believe it's all through Scripture, and I think it's really going to help you. So let's look at a lady in Matthew chapter 15 who I believe found the secret ingredient. I don't know if she realized she found it. I don't know if she was consciously acting out this secret formula. But Jesus marveled at something in this story. And it's only the second time in all of Scripture that Jesus marveled at anything. So let's look at Matthew chapter 15, verse 21. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon, a Canaanite woman. Now, a Canaanite was when, when God sent the children of Israel into the promised land, he told them to drive out all the inhabitants. Well, guess what? One of those groups was the Canaanites. In other words, these are not friends of Israel. These were kind of enemies of Israel. So you got to remember who this woman is. She's not a daughter of the children of Israel. She's not part of the covenant people of God. She's an outsider. So a Canaanite woman from the vicinity came to him, to Jesus, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, I would love for you to just kind of hold that phrase for a minute. Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. First of all, John chapter 1 says he came to his own and they received him not. In other words, Jesus came to Israel and they didn't get it. They didn't see him for who he was, accept him for who he was. Here's an outsider and she calls him Lord. She calls him God. Then she says, son of David. Well, that was a messianic prophecy. That whole culture would have known about there was a, 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 a seed of David coming that was going to be the Messiah, was going to set us all free. So here she acknowledges he's Lord, and then she acknowledges that he's the Messiah. And then she prays what I think is the coolest prayer you can ever pray, and that is, God, have mercy on me. And here's what you're praying when you pray, God, have mercy on me. You're praying, God, please don't do to me and for me what I deserve. Do to me and for me what I don't deserve. And that's what she was praying. Now, fascinating what happens. My daughter's demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. Now, personally, I believe Jesus stood there and he had to hold his mouth, his hand over his mouth. Because I believe he felt her need. He felt her pain over her daughter. And I believe he wanted to respond. But he had instructions. Jesus didn't answer a word, so his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. Jesus answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. That was his assignment. Did that make the woman walk away discouraged? No, 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 no. The woman came and knelt before him and said, Lord, help me. What was his reply? He pushed her away again. It's not right 
to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. I don't know about you, but that's kind of nasty. That's just kind of like, dude, what are you doing? I personally believe he was harvesting something. I believe he was trying to get something to come to the surface. That's what I believe. Then Jesus said to her, or, or she says, yes, it is, Lord. She was not dissuaded. She was not pushed away. And then she said, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Say great faith one time. I believe that's what Jesus was looking for. I believe that's why this story is in the Bible. And if you read the rest of it, your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that very moment. I believe the secret ingredient in the life of faith, in the journey of generosity, is faith. I believe we, we, Jesus looks for it. I believe he, if you'll allow me, he scales it. There's one place he called it puny faith. This and one other place he calls it great faith. I believe faith's a really big deal to God. Look at this verse in Hebrews chapter 11. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. What does that mean? According to this verse, no matter what else you do, no matter how well you live your life, no matter how well you try to obey the, the, the laws of the word, or no matter how nice you are to other people, no matter how sacrificially you give, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Now, I played with the words and kind of said it a different way, and this is in your notes. Apart from faith, we have no power to please God. Separated from faith, we can't please God. Now, really, really important thought. Who decided that? God did. God chose faith as the key to connecting with him and pleasing him. If you look in Genesis chapter 3, it talks about Abram or Abraham. And it says this, Abram or Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. The word righteous, in case you don't know, righteous means to be totally pleasing or acceptable to God. What God was saying was that no matter what else is going on in your life, the one thing that will wipe the slate clean between me and you is if you have faith in me, God. And that puts us on a connecting place that I can work with. Couple of statements. Faith, properly understood and lived out, is the secret ingredient that turns dry, dead religion into a raw, edge of your seat, epic adventure. So, what is faith? In its simplest form, faith is believing God is who He said He is, and He'll do what He said He will do. That's its simplest form. Believing God is who He said He is. And he'll do what he said he will do. Now, I'm going to fancy it up a little bit. I believe faith is actively receiving, even pursuing what God has promised. The woman in our story, she didn't just kind of wait by the side of the road hoping something dropped off of Jesus in her direction. She went after it. And I believe there's faith that acknowledges the truth. 
I believe there's faith that accepts the truth. And I believe there's faith that goes after the truth. And I believe in the 30 plus years I've been in ministry and watched people walk with God, there's something that God likes when someone hears his word, knows his character, gets a sense of what a great, kind being he is, and they go after what they believe God wants to do to them, through them, for them, and around them. And I want to help you stir up your faith a little bit this morning in the area of generosity. I believe faith is a posture of heart that soaks into everything we say and do. Faith is something that when I learn to walk in it naturally, it affects every decision I make, it affects every relationship I have, it affects the way I handle everything in my life. Let's go back to Hebrews eleven six and realize that it says a couple of key thoughts on this issue of faith. Hebrews eleven six, the part we already read, says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. But then it goes on to say, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. Now, I believe this. Anyone who approaches God, anyone who comes to God, anyone who needs something from God, anyone who wants to connect with and partner with God has to believe two things, that he's there and that he responds to what we do. I asked the Lord, God, give me some way to try to communicate this. And that's what this petition's up here for. I was thinking about it, and I felt like I just had to have some way to talk to you. But here's the deal. Here's what faith is. In the middle of a culture that kind of worships science and rationalism and how smart we are, faith is really, really, really very simple. It's believing that on the other side of that partition... God is real. And when you come to God to pray, you're believing that he's over there, that he's listening, that he loves you, that he cares, that he wants to respond from that side to this side. Faith is simply believing that he's there, that he cares, and that how we act over here releases him to do things for us, in us, through us, and around us. Faith is about living with this partition. I don't know about you, but I can't see God. I can't smell God. I can't hear God. I can't feel God. But I know he's there. I know he's there. And I know he responds to what we do over here. I believe there are things I can do on this side of the partition that affect what God can do from his side of the partition. So, what does all that have to do with money? What does all that have to do with generosity? What does all that have to do with, I got to pay my bills, and I want to live my life in the area of finances in a way that pleases God? What I want to do is share three thoughts that my wife and I have lived by in the area of finances for our 37 years together. And we've learned these over the years and they've affected how we think, how we act, and how we handle our money. These are what I would call the pillars that support our trust and confidence in God 
in the area of finances. Three statements. Number one, God owns everything, and he's very, very, very generous with it. I believe one of the biggest problems in the church today is we need to overhaul our image of God. I believe God's a whole lot nicer than we make him look. I believe God wants to do more than we allow him to do because most of the time, we just don't think we deserve it. Well, can I tell you a little secret? You don't. You don't. But, say but. Jesus went through a very difficult process so that you could receive what he deserves because he received what you deserve. Do you realize that's the heart and soul of Christianity? That Jesus became what we are so that we could receive what he deserves. And that's the heart and soul of Christianity. My wife and I, after studying the Bible for years, watching God, we believe this next statement under that one. God's desire to bless his people is all through the Bible. I believe from the front of the book to the back, it, it jumps off the pages that God's preference is to bless us. Now, the reality of it is he can when we live certain ways. When God called Abram in Genesis chapter 12, in the middle of all that he said, come out from your people, from your father's house, and go to a land that I'll show you. In the middle of that, here's what God said to Abram. I will bless you. I will bless you. And you'll be a blessing. What does that mean? I'm going to bless you to the extent that there's going to be excess so that you can bless others. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, famous chapter where it talks about if, you, if, if you'll obey me, all these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. I'm going to read a little bit more of that chapter. It says you'll be blessed in the city. You'll be blessed in the country. Now, some of these symbols we don't relate to anymore, but just think about current symbols of wealth and blessing. The fruit of your womb will be blessed. The crops of your land the young of your livestock. You'll be blessed when you come in. You'll be blessed when you go out. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns and on everything you put your hand to. The Lord will grant you abundant prosperity. The Lord will open the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty. I believe God wants to bless. I believe it's his nature to bless. Now, here's a, an interesting statement for you from our study. We do not, my wife and I, we don't believe it's the heart of God for you to have enough. We do not believe it's God's will for you to have enough. You know what enough is? Enough is when the input equals the outgo. Enough is I owe $1,735.56 this month. And what comes in is $1,735.56. I don't believe that's God's will. I believe God's will is abundance. I believe it's the will of God. Look at this verse in 2 Corinthians 9. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. I believe God wants you to experience and live in abundance, which is more than enough. The word abundance means more than what is required or necessary. It means to have a surplus after you meet your obligations. 
I believe that's the will of God for his children. And it lays a groundwork for my wife's and my expectations or faith for what God will do. All right, the second big thing that has affected how we think about money, approach money, and handle money. We've learned to rest in God's integrity and his love. We've learned to rest in God's integrity and his love. Look at this verse in Numbers chapter 23. God is not human that he should lie, that he should change his mind. I lost my place there. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and then not fulfill? Our faith and confidence is based on God's goodness, not ours. When we think about, God, we're in a pickle here, we need help, we don't think about, have we done everything just right? Do we deserve God to bless us? We think about, God, what is your heart? What is your desire? And I believe, we believe, it's God's heart and desire to bless. Another verse in 1 John 4, 16. We've come to know and believe the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. A really important statement. We have separated our self-worth from our net worth. We've separated our self-worth from our net worth. Interesting thought. I read a book a few years ago called Authentic Happiness. And the book was about just what it sounds like. They, it was a secular book, and they studied different cultures all over the world, and they talked about enduring authentic happiness. In other words, not spikes of it, but enduring authentic happiness. And they found three things were involved, and that was your happiness thermostat. Don't have time to talk about that. And, and some things you can do mentally, but here's what they found. They found only 10% of your enduring authentic happiness was dependent upon your life circumstances. You know what they found? People that win the lottery, about three years later, they're about as happy as they were before they won the lottery. They found people that suffer tragic things about three to five years later are about as happy as they were before. In other words, what they found was external circumstances don't affect us as much as internal circumstances. And I'll tell you what, if there's anything I've learned, I've learned this. I want to derive, set, establish my sense of worth and value based on the opinion of God, not the opinion of others, or the culture in which we live. There's this thing called the treadmill effect. How many of you have ever been on a treadmill? Anybody work with a treadmill? You know, you get on that thing and you set it, and just to get it done, some of you already made fun of me when you saw my wife and I running the bridge one day. My wife was like over the bridge and coming back when I'm halfway up the front, you know? And these people love, love you guys if you're in here, but they made an issue as they saw me. They said, wow, your wife's way ahead of me. Well, let's just get it out there. My wife runs circles around me. So we do the treadmill together, and she's got her set at like six and a half miles per hour, and I'm like at four and a half. But I'm there. But how many of you know how that works? You set the speed, and then you've got you to book it just to stay where you are. Well, the treadmill effect with money is this odd psychological thing that no matter how much we make, we kind of have to keep up with the people around us. So if I make a little more, 
I have to keep up with the people around me. And you know what's weird about that? You live just as strained with more money as you did when you had less. Here's the deal. The amount of money is not what makes you free. What makes you free is how you look at it, hold it, and how you believe it affects your sense of self-worth. You can learn to live free of money being your sense of self-worth. <clears throat> I shared with you a while back three questions that I use. When I feel like my sense of God has drifted and I feel like he and I aren't as connected as I like to be, I've learned three questions that kind of center me back on what really, really, really matters to me. And it keeps me kind of in this peaceful place. Three questions. They're not in your notes, but I think they're going to be up here. Number one, how do I see God? When I feel like I've drifted, what I do is I back up and I say, okay, how am I seeing God right now? Am I seeing kind of off distant, his arms folded, and he's unhappy with me? This morning, as I asked some people to pray for me, a phrase that just jarred my heart was this one delightful friend and brother of mine prayed over me, God adores you. God adores you. And I don't know why, but that just, ah. You know the truth, folks? God loves you. God's crazy about you. The problem is you're not crazy about you. And sometimes it's hard to see him looking at us fondly. I believe how you see God determines who you become. So the first question is, how do I see God? The second question, how do I see myself? Do I see myself as lazy and I'll never amount to anything? Do I see myself as an accident waiting to happen? Do I see myself who, you know what, you're, you're getting about all you deserve? Or do I see myself as a really unique, cool, different, odd creation of God that, you know what, my journey is going to be a little different than some other people's? But God is committed to blessing me. And if I'll just be myself, we're going to get there. So how do I see God? How do I see myself? And then the third, what do I believe I have to do to please God and get my needs met? What do I believe I have to do? Now, don't have time to chase this too far, but here's the deal. I believe religion is spelled D-O. Religion's all about doing and doing and doing. Well, I need to pray. I need to read the Bible. I need to be nice to people. I need to make good decisions. I need to stop doing that. I need to start doing that. And, you know, maybe if this were to happen and I could do this consistently, maybe, maybe God would be pleased with me. I believe religion is spelled D-O. I believe real, working, exciting Christianity is spelled D-O-N-E. I believe God wants us to come into his presence based on the work somebody else did. And he wants us to come into his presence and learn how to relax. I've learned, learns a process, not an event. I've learned how to rest in God's love. Rest in God's care. Rest in his opinion of me. And I would surely love to help you do that. 
changes your life immensely. How many of you remember doubting Thomas? You know, Jesus appeared to the disciples and certain, certain number of them, Thomas was not there. They were all excited. Jesus is risen. Jesus has been resurrected. Thomas says, okay, time out, dude. Here's what he says. Unless I see the wound in his side and the holes in his hands, unless I see, I'm not going to believe. Jesus appears again. Thomas happens to be there. And look what Jesus says to Thomas in John 20, verse 29. Jesus told Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I believe faith is believing what God says and acting on it before you see it. All right, how has this affected the way Colleen and I handle our money? How has this affected our generosity and our approach to funds? Very important statement. We exercise, exercise faith for finances and faithfulness with finances. I'm going to slow that one down so you think about it. We exercise faith for finances and faithfulness with finances. How many of you, when you got married, how many of you figured out pretty quickly that you were different from each other? Raise your hand if you figured that out pretty quick. How many of you occasionally had a little intense fellowship around your differences? How many did it often or occasionally drift into where money caused some of that, right? Well, early in our marriage, I mean, Colleen and I are very different. She's from Conway, South Carolina. I'm from outside of Buffalo, New York, and whatever. We're just different. And uh, one of the things we learned early in our marriage is my wife, she's, she's extraordinary. She's wonderful, uh, you know, whatever. I'll get crying if I talk about it. I love her so much. But here's the deal. She's amazing. But she's also kind of, she likes structure. She likes order. She likes lists. Can you believe that? She has lists of lists. She likes that stuff. And you know what? When you say, let's make a budget, you know what she does? She thinks you just said, let's have a party. <laughs> There's really something wrong with her. Would you please pray for her? <clears throat> so she loves, and when we were younger, I mean, dude, we needed it badly. We used to use the envelopes. And actually, we've gone back to the envelope system because we're watching Dave Ramsey stuff right now. But here's the deal. She loves to look at how much money we have and what we need to do. And, oh, we could spend this much here and this much here. I'm just like, please. It feel, I feel like you're choking me. You're suffocating me. So we would get into these moments over money. And here was the interesting thing we learned. We both had default reactions. When money would get a little tight, my wife's first response was, let's figure out how to spend less. My first response was, let's get some more. <laughs> Isn't that kind of simple? I don't want to spend less. Let's just get some more. Now, what was, it, what was that? Faith for finances, faithfulness with finances. What did I find? One day I was just really aggravated with her, and I said, Cooling, I said, where are you trusting God? Give me a scripture for, give me any scripture you're standing on in the area of our money. Next thing you know, in an instant, she pops out, if you're faithful with little, he'll make you ruler over much. And I said, dog, that's a good scripture. 
I've never challenged her again. <laughs> she shut me down. All right, so how has that affected our money? Look at the, let's look at a couple of scriptures that lay the groundwork. I believe you need to address three things when you look at your money. Three things. Ownership, obedience, and faith. Ownership, obedience, and faith. Ownership, obedience, and faith. You got to figure it out. Ownership, obedience, and faith. Why do I say this to you? Because I want you blessed. I want you blessed. Malachi 3, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Sounds like abundance to me. Then I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine be in the, vine in the field, cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. Then in Proverbs 3, it says this, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. One of the things we've done for basically 37 years without interruption is we honor God with the first fruits of everything we earn or receive. Basically for 37 years, it's very simple. Whatever money comes into this Judd family, we write a check for a tithe of that to our local church, mine up the road when I was there and now Seacoast, because you're our family now. We just don't even think about it. Why? I believe God owns all of our money. And one of the most important ways I say to him, I get it, God, it's all yours, is we tithe. But it also releases faith. Because when we tithe, we're also saying, God, I believe you want to bless us to abundance or overflowing. Our goal is 10, 10, 80. Our goal is 10% we tithe, 10% we save, and live on 80%. And I would say we're pretty much doing that right now. I can't say we've done that for our entire life. And we have found that as we've learned to do this, it's helped us, last statement in your notes, doing these things has enabled us to live in a peaceful place of grateful abundance. It's amazed us at how God has been so good to us. Now I want to end looking at, looking at one quick story about the widow's might, we frequently call it, but it's in Luke 21, 1 through 4. Jesus looked up and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. Jesus said this poor widow has put in more than all the others. The value of what she gave was greater. She put in way less but in the eyes of God, listen to me, please, the value to God was greater. Why? I believe the more that Jesus saw was her faith. See, here's the deal, folks. Unless she thought in the next two to three days, I'm leaving here, I'm dying, I'm passing away, 
throwing all that she had in that offering was not, it was sacrifice, but it was taking what she knew was not enough in her hands and putting it into the hands of someone she knew could multiply it and do more with it. I believe she was casting herself into the care of God. I've got a statement up here I want us to read together. I want us to read it out loud. So if you would, read this with me out loud, okay? Start it with me. God, I believe you are there and that you love me. I believe you want to bless me in every area of life, including my finances. Thank you for your kindness. Please help me to express my gratitude and faith in the area of finances and generosity. One last scripture. My God shall supply all of your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Let me pray for you. Father, <clears throat> thank you for your love, sir. Thank you, sir, that every person in this room, every person at our campuses, every person online is loved by God, period. There's no doubt. And God, you care about our finances. And we pray right now, sir, that you would instruct us, teach us, challenge us, enlarge us in the area of finances. Just guide each of us in how to respond in recognizing your ownership, obedience, and faith. And we thank you for it, sir. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.